You're listening to Talking Policy, a podcast of the UC Institute on Global Conflict and Cooperation. The war in Ukraine is challenging assumptions about the world among policymakers and ordinary citizens alike. To help listeners understand what's happening, what it means, and what might happen next, a new Talking Policy series will explore the political, economic, security, and humanitarian implications of the Ukraine invasion. My name is James Lee, and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at IGCC. I'll be hosting this Talking Policy episode in the series on Ukraine. Today, we're talking with Timing Chung, the director of IGCC, and an experienced analyst in Chinese and East Asian defense and national security affairs to help us better understand what the invasion of Ukraine means for Russia-China relations. Tai, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, James. The invasion of Ukraine has put a spotlight on Russia's relationship with China, the world's other authoritarian great power. How much did China know in advance about Putin's plan to invade Ukraine? I mean, that's a great question. I mean, there's all, all sorts of speculation that when Putin visited Beijing um, for the Winter Olympics, that um, he could have informed Xi Jinping, or because China and Russia have a very, very close relationship, especially in the military sphere, that it's like that information could come across there. We don't know. And there's sort of like... Um, Sort of enough speculation that sort of like that it's plausible that the Chinese could have been told, uh, sort of like um, that sort of given advance warning about the invasion, or that um, the Russians were gonna sort of like um, carve out portions of the Ukraine and not that are not necessary a full scale invasion. But I mean, I guess what we do know was that uh, I mean that China was somewhat to some extent taken by surprise that the Chinese authorities um, sort of like, um, like um, had a difficult, difficult initial few days at the beginning to work out what their position is itself. So this would suggest that um, the Chinese may have sort of been told some things, but it's like, um, but may not have been given sort of the full inside of what was taking place um, by the, the Russians. So if they were surprised by what happened to some extent and, and the situation put them in a very difficult position, do you think it's likely that that would introduce some element of distrust in Russia-China relations? I mean, it's possible. Um, but I mean, one, one of the things when you look at sort of um, China-Russia re- relations is that um, trust has not always been sort of like, um, sort of like um, well-established in the, in the relationship. It's, I mean, while the Chinese and the Russians have developed a pretty good um, relationship, it's like, I mean, there's significant distrust in many areas of that relationship. Um, And it's like, um, and in many ways, sort of like um, the Beijing and Moscow, they operate on sort of what sort of the classic Ronald Reagan sort of formal is, is that trust but verify. Uh, and so, I mean, this sort of like goes to the heart of sort of the, the, the Russia and China relationship, which is in many ways, it's sort of like, it's a conditional re- 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 relationship where they have sort of like um, lots of things um, in common, um, things like um, sharing a deep sort of disdain 
and hostility towards the US, sort of um, share some deep nationalist nationalist roots on both sides. Um, so like complementarity, sort of like in the number of strategic errors. But at the same time, sort of like um, both both countries have had sort of like um, many, many decades and not centuries of hostility, um, even in the recent past. I mean, since the founding of the People's Republic of China in 1949, the two countries have spent as much time sort of like um, at each other's throats have they, as they have of being comrades in, in arms. And so when you have sort of like, um, sort of like uh, this sort of very sort of like uh, mixed history, sort of um, trust um, is often in short supply. There's been this recognition that it's like um, that it's a very balanced relationship, where it's like um, none, like both of them sort of occupy sort of the same equivalence balance in in that relationship and 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 in hierarchy. But it's like um, but you do still get the sense, even though even then, that the the, the Russians have a chip on their shoulder when it comes to dealing with China. Just before Russia invaded Ukraine, she met with Putin during the Beijing Olympics, and they issued a joint statement saying that the friendship between Russia and China had, quote, no limits, end quote, and that there were, quote, no forbidden areas of cooperation, end quote. What did they mean by this? And is there a disconnect between the politics and the rhetoric of China-Russia relations? I mean, there's a lot of flowery rhetoric. Yes, there's these um, no areas of forbidden, and the um, and the joint statement also mentioned that they thought that's like I mean, their relationship um, sort of at pre- 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 present exceeded um, sort of the p- political and strategic alliances that that they had sort of back in the 1950s, which is sort of like um, which is sort of like um, an exaggeration. But it's like, um, I mean, but it was, in, I guess the intent was that um, it was a signal to the US and, and to the West that like, um, that areas where sort of like, um, um, sort of like um, the outside world was worried that the Chinese and the Russians might engage, um, sort of cooperate in, like I, I mentioned, some of these strategic deterrence capabilities, those areas, um, um, the two countries sort of had danced around that they really ha- had not sort of like um, worked very closely in those areas so far. But now as, as a strategic signal, it's like, um, well, these are potential areas that we can work on um, going forwards. And this sort of like um, speaks to sort of like, um, sort of like um, their circumstances that both of these countries um, were in as they approached sort of like the summit meet, meet, meeting for for the Chinese for the last few years they've been engaged in an increasingly heated strategic competition um, with the U.S. Um, where the U.S. was increasingly sort of like um, sort of like um, imposing restrictions and sanctions and export con- con- controls on on Chinese technologies so the Chinese were keen to find to demonstrate that they had alternative sources or alternative par partners to do this type of co- co- cooperation, or, and the but the only the only sort of real sort of like alternative in the international system outside of the U.S. on these forbidden areas was Russia. So for China, it was sort of like um, putting that in the statement was a sort of like um, was a very useful. Um, sort of like um, sort of act for them, and on the Russian side, um, sort of like on whether sort of like um, this one had had the Ukraine in mind, etc. I mean, the, the Russians had already been 
under extensive sanctions because of Crimea in 2014. So uh, this was also a useful exercise for the Russian to signal that uh, they would be willing to, to cooperate with the Chinese. So from a strategic perspective, so like um, signaling that um, both sides could sort of engage in areas that were sort of like, um, that they hadn't sort of engaged in in the past was, was a clear strategic signal um, to the West. In just the last few days, China has been assisting Russia's disinformation campaign by spreading false claims that the United States was conducting research on biological weapons in Ukraine. At the same time, Chinese officials have been gradually using stronger language to describe the invasion of Ukraine, with Xi Jinping recently calling it a war rather than a, quote, special military operation, end quote. How should we make sense of this? Well... China would like to demonstrate that it's like um, that its vast bureaucracy is unified. There's a sort of like and 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 there's a unified message that comes from the top, from Xi Jinping on down. It's much more harder to implement in reality. You have sort of like um, within the Chinese state society a lots of sort of very com- competing interests when it comes to Russia. If you put all these competing interests in the same room, you have the military national security coalitions who tend to side much more closer with the Russians, who would be much more sort of on board in terms of the information, disinformation and propaganda campaigns, while you have other elements like the economic, the energy, and other parts of the apparatus who are much closer in interest with the West, who probably sort of wants to take a much more distance view itself. So it's not surprising that that you get sort of like a major sort of de- debates and different nuances come in sort of from the Chinese authorities, even though it, it's a very sort of top-down sort of dis- disciplined system within China. The overall Russia-China re- relationship has many contradictions. So it's like, um, so it's not a surprise that you get different messages that take place. But by and large, um, China has signaled that it's much closer to Russia than to the West. But I think it's it's also that the Chinese are like, um, are sort of, they're very pragmatic. Um, they're not dog, dogmatic in their approach towards Russia. Russia. There's a lot of pragmatism. And so they're much more willing, I think, um, to adjust their positions tactically, even though strategically they are firmly sort of like um, to the Russians. But from an operational, from a tactical pers- perspective, they can slay to sort of different um, sides at the same time. It was recently reported that Russia had asked China for military aid. Is China likely to provide aid or other forms of military assistance? Um, I mean, that's a interesting um, sort of like um, sort of um, sort of, uh, sort of news re- re- reporting. So I don't know if that's actually happened um, specifically, but I mean, I, here's some useful context. I mean, it's like um, as I said, I mean, his, historically. Um, sort of like the military aid, sort of like the weapons transfers, the technological military technological transfers between Russia and China has been one way. It's been from 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 the Soviet Union slash Russia to China, especially in the last couple of decades. The Chinese have bought sort of tens of billions of dollars worth of Russian military equipment. The Russians have had 
very little interest in sort of what the Chinese military industrial com complex has had to offer. Although in the last few years, there's been some, some limited and burgeoning in interest as the Chinese begin to develop sort of like, um, sort of like pretty sort of like um, advanced technologies. But it's like, but by and large, it's like um, the Russian military has not really looked to China um, sort of like for, for military assistance or for military um, sort of um, arms transfers, etc. Um, but it's like, um, but the Russians, uh, especially given sort of like um, the enormous sort of like resources that they sort of like uh, invested on their invasion of U Ukraine, will no doubt be keen to get whatever military assistance um, um, sort of they can get. And sort of like, uh, and, and there's one interesting antidote that sort of like um, is like um, sheds sort of like to, to me sort of like um, sort of how the Chinese may be thinking if there is this type of Russian request. So back in 1989, sort of like um, in the summer of 1989, China found themselves in a, not exactly the same, but in a similar position as, as, as Russia today, right? So there was the um, June 1989 Tiananmen ten, ten, Square crackdown, where the Chinese used force against their their citizens, and they became an international pariah with sanctions um, from across the international system. And so the the Chinese military um, in the fall of 1989, they were worried about sort of their access to military capabilities. And they reached out to, at that time, it was the Soviet Union, um, to the Soviet military and said, um, we want to sort of like reestablish a relationship where it's like, um, we can see we can sort of get military sort of assistance or get access to military equipment. Now, they, that the Chinese um, sort of like um, were res restricted because of, of, of sanctions from the US and the West. And the Soviets at that time said yes. And within the next couple of years, um, this provided the foundations of this sort of like um, sort of very close Chinese sort of Chinese Russian military re relationship. So at the time of China's greatest need in in sort of like um, in 1989, sort of the Soviets sort of reached up. Uh, so the Soviets after being reached reached out said, um, "Well, we'll be happy to reestablish relations." So if sort of like and the Chinese sort of like um, sort of like. Um, Pay a lot of stock to these types of gestures um, when they're when they face sort of like um, sort of like um, like really sort of danger when they're in most dangerous circumstances they get assistance and, and help from sort of like um, from other countries they much would be much more inclined to to reciprocate and so China so Russia today is in a similar, you know, even more dire circumstance than than China in 1989. And so I think um, like um, the Chinese would, would no doubt be reminded by Moscow that it's like, um, well, so like um, Moscow said yes when the Chinese were in the spot. So I think it's like, um, so that is one reason I think, and, and a very important reason why I think um, the Chinese will be willing whether it's right now or they say, well, just wait a, a few more months. It's like um, that the Chinese is much more like, likely to say yes to any sort of like um, um, Russian outreach for military aid, for military assistance.
does that also apply to economic sanctions? Is China going to help Russia to cushion the effect of international sanctions? I mean, sort of, um, I mean, the, as I said, it's like, I mean, sort of like um, the military component of the relationship has, or like, um, is sort of like, is in many ways sort of compartmentalized or sort of, or in a very different, different lane from the economic and, f- and from the energy side, right? I mean, it's like um, the military com- component, it, it, it tends to be much more non-transparent so, so they can keep a lot of what's going on. So like, um, sort of like um, um, away from the in- international community so they can hide a lot of what that is taking place. On the um, and it's like um, and the Chinese on sort of like in terms of the military relationship because um, there's these ongoing sanctions um, from the EU and from the US from other countries that date back to to the Tiananmen Square crackdown. Sort of like China doesn't have sort of like um, much of sort of like a a close or a significant sort of like a military technological relationship with the West. So if the Chinese get sanctioned in this area, it doesn't really make much dif- difference. So, and the Russians have been this, this is very, very important military trade and partner. So, so the Chinese um, can maintain that relationship sort of without much impact upon their, the, the existing um, arrangement. On the economic side, it's much more different because the Chinese are much more integrated um, sort of like um, um, with the West and they do much less sort of like um, trade and investment with, with Russia. They have um, a fundamentally different set of interests to consider itself. And so I think, um, and because a lot of that sort of um, trade investment is much more transparent, it's like um, it's, uh, the, the Chinese, I think, will be a lot more wary of sort of like um sort of like um of circumventing or ignoring what the sanction the international sanctions are i mean the chinese will find ways i think it's like um especially as they try to develop alternative um sort of like um sort of like um sort of financial mechanisms um to do trade in the international system but i think um the chinese will be sort of very 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 cautious in sort of like um in sort of sort of allow, allowing sort of like um sort of um economic relations to develop with Russia um that may uh, sort of like um sort of um in, sort of um impede their own sort of like e- their economic circumstances turning to uh, Taiwan has uh Russia's invasion of Ukraine affected the uh, Beijing's decision making or Beijing's calculus regarding the use of force against Taiwan I mean, we'll have to wait and see for concrete evidence itself. To me, it's clear that it would have had a a profound impact. A lot of people have asked because the US and the West are distracted over Russia and the Ukraine. This provides an ideal opportunity to invade and take over Taiwan. But that makes no sense. First, First of all, China and the People's Liberation Army, they are still woefully unprepared and not ready to undertake a full-scale military invasion across into Taiwan and be confident of success. They still got a a number of years before they have any confidence that they will be able to go and win a war 
against Taiwan because invading Taiwan is so much more difficult than what the Russians have been doing in the U Ukraine. I mean, primarily sort of like um, the Russia-Ukraine um, war has been a land invasion from Be Belarus and from the east of the country. But much, much of the focus has been on the use of Russian ground forces into Ukraine. And that's been sort of like, um, has not gone very, very well. For China to go across into ta Taiwan, this requires an amphibious in invasion. It re requires sort of a, a significant amount of joint operations from the Air Force, the Navy, the ground forces on the Chinese side. And, and, and the Chinese have had very, very little ex experience in doing that. And doing that is like would be even, would be far more complicated and far more risk risky than what, what, what the Russians, the lessons that are coming out from the campaign in the Ukraine shows to Chinese military planners, well, it's like um, we really need to learn the lessons. And this is going to sort of make whatever we do against Taiwan even more difficult. I mean, to me, this will have set back sort of like on whatever the Chinese plan, military plans are to take or invade or not invade Taiwan by at least five years, if not longer. I mean, we still don't know what the end result of what's hap hap happening in the Ukraine. If it continues to be a stalemate, if, if the Russians are not able to gain their military goals, then this may even to push back even longer what um, what Chinese military planning is when it comes to 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 Taiwan. And it should be pointed out that Xi Jinping, when it comes to the use of military force, he is much more risk adverse than Vladimir Putin. Putin has done this, so the use of military force on a number of occasions. What, what we've seen by Xi Jinping is that he's not really sort of like um, being willing to sort of use military force directly. It's like, I mean, he's used other elements of the national security operations in, in, in coercive means, but it's much more indirect against Xinjiang sort of to do with, with Hong Kong in the South China Sea, et cetera. So Xi Jinping hasn't put himself in a position where he uses sort of military force through, through incursions or invasions or other sort of like um, direct uses of, of military force. So he's much more pragmatic and much more sort of risk cautious when, when it comes to the use of force. What aspects of Russia's invasion of Ukraine is Beijing likely to be following most closely? From a military perspective, sort of the one area where it's much more relevant in terms of the Taiwan scenario has been sort of the use of naval and amphibious operations down in the south, right? And all the reporting seems to suggest much sort of the main success that um, the Russians have, 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 have had in, in capturing Ukrainian territory has been down in the south. So the Chinese will, will pay attention to that. The Chinese will also mean um, look to in terms of the ground forces, although it's like that's sort of less relevant um, I mean, and if you have a look in terms of how the Chinese military have been going about sort of modernizing and, re and re reforming their military system over the last sort of decade or so, especially the high, the high command system since the mid 2010s, a lot of this has been sort of based upon um, the Russian mo model. I mean, in 2016, the Chinese established like a theater com command to replace their historical mi military regions. 
a lot of that was based upon the lessons that the Chinese learned from the Russians. So, so the command and control apparatus is also a very important sort of military lesson. And the Chinese also sort of like, um, and that command and control um, apparatus, especially at the operational level, has been called into question um, because of the Russian failures there. So that's another sort of Im important lesson. And the third lesson is that um, the invasion of Ukraine has taken place in different domains, right? So the military one is the most brutal and most bloody part of it. But tied in with that is the economic warfare side. And this is the economic warfare is that's what the Russians have been engaged with, with the US, with the with the NATO countries, etc. And so the Chinese will have seen that the warfare in the 21st century is that um, it's just not the military, it's much more comp comprehensive, that it's like that you have to sort of factor in sort of the economic and financial and trade dimensions of this military campaign. And so as the Chinese think about building up their military capabilities, they're emphasizing the importance of um, building up resilience in their economic security to ensure that their economy can deal with economic sanctions, can deal with the arsenal sort of, uh, of economic warfare mechanisms that the West has like um, sort of thrown at the Russians and done it at a speed and an extent sort of like, and that's taken sort of almost everyone by surprise. Many analysts have been surprised at how much difficulty Russia has faced in gaining air superiority in Ukraine. Would China face similar difficulties in the conflict over Taiwan? Um, I think the, the Chinese will, will and they will face even more than, than the Ukrainians. When you compare, for example, the Ukrainian and the Taiwanese air forces, the, the Taiwanese air force is significantly bigger and significantly more advanced than the Ukrainian Air Force. The Ukrainian Air Force is a good air, air force being run down because a lot of its sort of like capabilities was historically came from Russia and the Soviet Union. So one of the lessons that the the Taiwanese will have taken, and they've and they've known this for quite a while, is the importance of investing heavily in their air defenses. In the last couple of years, the Taiwanese have sort of signed major sort of a modernization programs. And what, what, what we're seeing now is like um, not, in, not only in terms of fighter air, air, aircraft, but it's like um, in, in ground-based missile defenses. And I would not be so surprised if that we see a major spike in Taiwanese um, acquisitions, both of the fighter aircraft. Now there's a debate whether the, the Taiwanese should buy the most advanced fifth generation fighter aircraft from the US, the F-35s, because the US hasn't been willing to, but that might change. And the Taiwanese will look to buy even sort of like um, significantly more quantities of sort of air, air defense um, systems. The Russian armed forces have had much more combat experience compared to the PLA, and yet the Russian armed forces have conspicuously underperformed in Ukraine. Does that mean that combat experience is less important than we might intuitively think? Or does it mean that the PLA is likely to be even less effective as a fighting force compared to the Russian military? The Chinese have not fought a major military campaign um, since its border war against Vietnam in 1979. And even then, it, it's like uh, it did very, very badly. I mean, if you look at the, Chi uh, at the, at the Chinese military leadership 
today, as far as I can tell, of the of the sort of um, top 100 generals, there was there's one general who was a junior officer in the 1979 um, war. So there's like um, so by and large, like the the Chinese military leadership has no combat experience. It's like um, the Chinese sort of will reflect on this and say, it's like, yeah, it's like, I mean, we really need to train even more and, and develop our military training and exercise capability so that it's, it's much more realistic. Finally, on a more personal note, uh, as an experienced analyst of security issues and a director of a think tank focused on specifically how to mitigate and prevent large-scale conflict, what has it been like for you personally to watch this unfold and what worries you the most? I mean, it's been sort of like um, very depressing that it's like um, in the in the twenty first century, many of the experiences, the mechanisms, the international frameworks to prevent large scale sort of like um, state and state war hasn't really done anything to prevent Russia come from going into Ukraine, and the aftermath. This is sort of a profound moment. A lot of the, the the research and the work that's been done on understanding the nature of the international security order um, over the last sort of couple of decades is now outdated almost overnight. So we so we have to like I think going forwards of a very very different both policy and and even sort of as an academic sort of from a academic perspective we're back to whether we call it a cold war or so like a, a hot a near hot war etc we have to have a sort of a lot of sort of new out of, out of the box thinking and also i mean we've focused primarily on sort of, of on the conventional side but it's like um i mean the nuclear dimension is not far away from the surface, especially of the Russian threats, et cetera. But it's like but sort of new technologies um, that sort of could could amplify. So as we see sort of with the disinformation and, in, and information warfare side. And also it's, um, I mean, um, as, as I said, it's like, um, I mean, when we talk about sort of like um, war and sort of like state-to-state -state conflict, it's like it's no longer in just the military domain. It's much more comprehensive. We will have to do a lot of work to really sort of like um, sort of understand sort of what the new dynamics of the of of the global order um, post twenty twenty two is going to be. Hi, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us. Okay, thank you, James, for all these questions. I'm James Lee, and thanks for being with us at IGCC. Have a great week.